If you would please find in your Bible 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, and while you're finding that, allow me to say what an honor it is to be here for the, the services at Grandview Baptist. I love Pastor Mutchler. I love his spirit. His wife is always an encouragement. It's so good to see her again today. And it's a privilege to be here to see the work that God is doing. I'm looking forward to meeting Pastor Layman this afternoon as well and spending some time with him. I have to say this is the last state of all 50 states that I have not been in. And I think we've saved the best for last. Because Oregon is an absolutely beautiful state. Now, I know you're saying it's raining, it's snowing, it's, well, listen, where I'm coming from down in Florida, I'm grateful that it's just something that's cool right, right now. It is a beautiful state to see the colors in the trees, the evergreens still around. I think that we oftentimes forget how blessed we are because we have it around us so much, and you are a blessed people with this beautiful state. And a blessed church. I love your music this morning. The choir was so vibrant, smiling, and happy. Let me tell you, there is enough misery in the world. The church ought to be a place of joy that people can see. It makes a difference. It makes a true difference. And so I'm thankful for the ministry that you have in Portland, Oregon area, Beaver Creek, as you share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the joy of Jesus Christ. It's evident in what God's doing in each of your lives. Thank you for everything that you're doing here in this work. You may have heard the phrase, God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. I'm not really sure who coined that phrase, but I do know that it's the truth. It's a truth that encourages me when I feel inadequate, as I face challenges, uh, or a work that I'm called to do that I'm not prepared to do. God is one who chooses to use people in their weakness, so his strength can be made evident. Really, the followers of Jesus have experienced that truth throughout the centuries, even from the calling of the first disciples. Think about it this morning. Those first disciples were, were people much like you and I, ordinary people. They weren't highly educated. They weren't powerfully influential. They weren't perhaps charismatic in personality, but they were people that God chose in spite of their background, in spite of their, uh, of their faults, God chose to use them in a powerful way. Jesus is still calling the ordinary to do extraordinary things. And just as he changed the world in the early church, he's changing the world today by using ordinary people. I say all that to say this. That as we read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul was not an ordinary person. The Apostle Paul was a highly educated man. The Apostle Paul was one who was quite influential. He was a man of influence in Jerusalem. He would be one, as you know for his, from his prior life, would be one who would take letters to be able to persecute the Christians and to take their lives. Here was a man who had great influence and great power and quite honestly was filled with much pride. But when we find Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 written in the latter portion of his life, his mindset has changed. The Apostle Paul recognizes that he's not all that he thought that he was. There's a level of humility in his words. There's a level of recognition of God's work through him rather than his work for God. The whole context of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is the Apostle Paul defending himself. 
He's defending himself from the church members of a church that he started. They've hurled some horrible accusations against him. They've said, you know, we don't even think you're an apostle, Paul. So they question his apostleship. Some said he was a hypocrite. Paul deals with that in 2 Corinthians 11. Others said that he was a huckster. He was only using the gospel for the purpose of lining his own pocket. He was using it for the purpose of making uh, an extravagant living. And Paul deals with that in chapter 2. Others said of Paul personally that his speech was unappealing and his appearance was unattractive. And Paul deals with that in chapter 10. But the way Paul answers the question in 2 Corinthians 4 is distinctly different than any other time that he had answered her accusations in the past. E. Randolph Richards has written an interesting book entitled Paul Behaving Badly. He tells the story of the Apostle Paul, who we oftentimes recognize in our own uh, 21st century Christianity, Americanized Christianity, we recognize as perhaps just a second below Jesus Christ himself. We refer to him as Saint Paul. The Apostle Paul, the one who had written most of the New Testament epistles, the Apostle Paul, who would be one who would be the influence of the organization of the church, and we think of him as someone who is so far above us because he's so close to Christ. But according to E. Randolph Richards, he postulates this thought. The truth is the Apostle Paul had more in common with us than he did with Christ. Because the Apostle Paul was often antagonistic. Have you ever been antagonistic before? The Apostle Paul was often aggressive. The Apostle Paul was often caustic. He was often cruel with his words. Shortly after he was saved, he went on a missionary journey. He took Barnabas and Barnabas said, let's take a young man by the name of John Mark. John Mark went along and you know the story. John Mark halfway through decided that it wasn't for him. He quit and he went back home. Well, that's fine. The apostle Paul washed his hands of him and said, we're done with him. Never again. Will I waste my time on that failure and that flop. He will never be a part of a missionary journey again. But the, the Barnabas that was in the mix and thank God for the Barnabas that are in the mix. Barnabas comes to him on a second journey and he says, now let's take John Mark with us. And the Apostle Paul, in his usual fashion, aggressive, antagonistic, in his usual fashion, calls the first church, a Baptist church split recorded in the Bible. Because Barnabas went one way and, and Paul went another way and Mark was at that point of contention simply because of the attitude the Apostle Paul had. If you're here this morning and you feel as if you're better than others and you can judge others because of their failure and your superiority, the truth is the Apostle Paul was the same way. But before you look at the Apostle Paul to justify that attitude, let's look at the Apostle Paul at the end of his life to see the humility that he had, the grace that he gave to see the work that God had done in his life, even after the Damascus Road experience, a work that changed Paul to be a humble servant of God. You see, when these Corinthians were making these charges against Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, he doesn't become defensive, he doesn't argue, he diffuses those accusations, and he simply makes this statement. You're right. You're right. I'm just a clay pot. I'm just, a, I'm just an earthen vessel that holds the treasure of heaven. 
Notice how Paul puts it. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Would you look at verse number 5? If you have it, say amen so I know you're with me. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The Apostle Paul in that moment is, is, is being very honest to the Corinthian church. Yes, you've, you've accused me of these things. And the truth is, some of them may be true. But the gospel is not about me. It is about the gospel that is within me. The brokenness of my life, the failures of my life, display the grace of God in my life so that I can be used of God to reach others. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you're like the Apostle Paul in the latter portion of his life. Those moments of humiliating loss that have paralyzed you to the point that you say, God can't use me. I can't be a witness. I can't share the gospel. I can't be a person that, that is a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not worthy to be a, a witness for Christ. But I'm here to tell you, in your humility is the greatest qualification to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a parent or a friend who was so critical of you that you have retreated back into your own mind from the pain of the words that they said. You said, I'll never, ever say that I'm a Christian publicly. But perhaps it was someone who berated you, humiliated you in front of others. Perhaps it's a spouse that walked out, leaving you with unanswered questions in your mind and a wound in your soul, and you'll say, I'm never worthy enough. Maybe it's something that you've done that was self-inflicted. And you still bear the tender scars of that shame. Regardless of, of the accusation that comes to you, whether it's external, that those, those people saying things against you are internal, where your mind is telling you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not bright enough, you're not enough. Let me tell you, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned as well that it's important that I take my eyes off myself and be liberated by this truth. Verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. With that, this morning I want us to notice three transformative concepts we must remember if God is going to use us. The first concept would be this. The wealth of the treasure. He says we have this treasure. Circle that word in your Bible if you would please. The word treasure is the Greek word thesaurios. It's where we get our English word thesaurus. It was described in the Greek times as, uh, as a place of, uh, of safekeeping, a repository of sorts. Just as a thesaurus is a repository of words, you can find various words of the same meaning, a repository of synonyms of sorts. Uh, so was a thesaurus, and wealthy people would place the things of great value in that thesaurus. It's first used in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 11. You know the story. When the wise men enter into the house, they find the young child with Mary, uh, his mother, and the Bible says they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, Matthew 2 verse 11, when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Those, those treasures were present in honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For a moment, let's open the treasure that the Lord has chosen to place in our clay pots. What is that treasure? Well, notice, first of all, the treasure supply. Look at verse number 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, think about this for just a moment. When Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church was a, was a cross a culture of swords. The Corinthian city was actually located on a land bridge between the northern portion of Greece, Greece referred to as Achaia, and the southern portion of Greece. If you know anything about history, it's two different portions of history, but the Spartans would have been in the south, and, and Paul and the, and the Greek Hellenistic leaders of the Greek period would have been to the north. And in between was this four-mile land bridge that became the crossing point from those who were going east to west, from those that were passing from sea to sea. For instance, if someone was going from Rome to the Middle East, they would go across that land bridge. As early as about 400 BC, there was the beginning of a canal that was being dug by slave labor so that ships could be passing through. And to this day, there's still a canal there that's been finished so that there's that continual passage of culture to culture. So if someone was in Rome, they wanted to go to to the Middle East or the Near East, they, they would go across that land bridge. And if there was someone from the Middle East that wanted to go to Rome, they would go across that land bridge. If there was someone who wanted to go from the north of Greece to the southern portion of Greece, they would, they would pass through that land bridge. But here's what happened. In the passage of time, as people were coming and going, some settled there. And the city of Corinth became a city that was quite cosmopolitan. It was filled with Jews, it was filled with Greeks, and it was filled with Romans. And as Paul is writing this letter, he's saying to the church, church recognize that even though you're in a diverse culture, even though there's a culture that, that, that you feel as if you're not sufficient to answer or meet their needs, you have the treasure and the supply of that treasure will meet that need. You say, John, how do you know that? Well, notice the word that Paul uses here. Look at verse number six. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. When he speaks of light, he's speaking immediately to the Jews that lived in the city of Corinth. You see, the Jewish culture, the, the, the Jews have been searching from light, for light. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 3, the Bible says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And from that point forward, the Jews throughout all of the Old Testament have been searching for light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Over and over again, the, the Jews have been searching for light. The Bible tells us that Isaiah chapter 9, that Isaiah prophesied of a Messiah and he referred to him as a great light. Listen to what Isaiah said. And the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Referring to the time when Christ would come, the Messiah would come in that time of darkness as a great light. Now, you and I know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Can I have an amen right there? And when Jesus Christ came as the Messiah, as he gathered in the synagogue, he began to quote Isaiah chapter 9. But Jesus misquoted what Isaiah said. Let me tell you something. The living word can always misquote the written word. Because Jesus, the living word, recognized the reality of the moment. Where Isaiah said, the people have sat down in darkness. The Bible says Jesus quoted it as Matthew 4 verse 16. The people, excuse me, the people walked in darkness. Jesus said the people sat in darkness, saw a great light. Listen to me. 
From the beginning of time, those of the Hebrew faith have been searching for light, and Jesus came as that great light out of the darkness. But not only were there Jews present, there were Greeks that were present. And Paul says, everything that those of the holdover from the Hellenistic phase, all of those things they're searching for can be found in this treasure. Where do you see that, John? Well, look at verse number six. Look at your text. For God, who has commanded the light to shine out out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. There it is. That's the search of the Jew, or a search of the Greek. They're looking for knowledge at all times. If you know anything about Greek culture, they were those that were searching for what was referred to as an epignosis. Epi, higher is the Greek term. Gnosis is the root word for knowledge. They were looking for a higher knowledge. It was a divine spark that would come and allow them to become divine. They believed that if they learned just enough, if they had just as not enough experiences, that they too could be like Zeus. They too could be like Apollo. They too could be like Artemis. They too could become divine in the pursuit of knowledge. And Paul's saying to the culture, for those that are in darkness looking for light, for the Jews, for those that are in ignorance looking for knowledge, everything that is they're needing is found in the treasure that you have hidden within. But there's a third treasure that he has here. He says again, verse number six, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the Glory of God. Glory. So who is that speaking to? Well, he's speaking to the Romans that would be there in that culture. If you know anything from history of Siv, the, the, the Roman culture was a, Rome, was a culture of glory. It's referred to in history as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace with great might, with great strength. They took over most of the known world, and as a result, they had an impact upon the institutions of the world. They had an impact upon the architecture of the world. They were people who were known for their glory. If you've ever visited the city of Rome, you've seen the Colosseum, that magnificent structure of history. It's replete with the glory of the Roman people. And all of those things were as the result of their pursuit for glory in that age. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, and may I say, he's saying it to Grandview Baptist Church today, that where you are right now, even though the world seems to be counter to who you are, and the world is looking for something that you feel as if you cannot give them. The treasure that is within you is sufficient to meet that need. For those that are wandering in darkness, Christ can give them light. For those that are, that are dwelling in ignorance, Christ can give them knowledge. For those that are bound in shame, Jesus can transform them to a place of glory. You see, ladies and gentlemen, everything the culture needs is found in you through the work that Jesus has done in you. And if you are a child of God, you have moved from darkness to light, from ignorance to knowledge, from shame to glory. Can I have an amen right there? Because God is good and the work that he has done in our lives in spite of our our frailties and our foibles and our faults, he was willing to do it for others. The supply is present. Consider not only the supply, but consider the source. The treasure source, verse number six. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Notice this. In the face of Jesus Christ. 
Now, why did Paul use that last phrase, in the face of Jesus Christ? He could have been adequate to say that light and knowledge and glory is found in Jesus Christ. In fact, he, he did say that similarly in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 3. He says, in Christ are, are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But this time he says it's in his face. It's because we identify people by looking at their face. Now, this morning, let's say after the service, you come up to me and you say, John, I hear you have a very beautiful, beautiful wife, and I'm so sad that you couldn't able to, weren't able to bring her with you for your trip. I would have loved to have, meet, to have met her, but, but, but may, I just, may I see a picture of your beautiful wife? Now, let me say, first of all, you would be absolutely correct. I have a beautiful wife. Beautiful blonde hair, beautiful emerald green eyes, a little nose that just makes me melt every time I see her. She is the, uh, the gift that God has given me. She is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful wife. And, and if you were to say, John, would you show me that picture? And I were to take out my phone and I were to begin flipping through my phone and I found a picture of her and I would show it to you and I would show you a picture of her elbow, you would think that I was one fry short of a Happy Meal. Can I have an amen? <laughs> no man would ever show a picture of his wife's elbow. Now, make no mistake, my wife has a beautiful elbow. There is no other elbows like my wife's elbows. Bath and Body Works was kept uh, in, in business during the COVID shutdown because of my wife and the, 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 the beautiful elbow that she has. If I were to show you a picture of her ear, you would think there's something wrong with you. And let me tell you, she has beautiful ears. It's, it's wonderful to nibble on those cute little ears, let me tell you. I am blessed with a beautiful wife from head to toe. But if I wanted to show you my wife, I wouldn't show you her elbow, her ear, her little toe, her, her little pinky. I would show you her face. Why? Because her face conveys who she is. The sparkle in her eyes. The smile on her face. It would show you her personality. And what the world is looking for is found in the face of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, here, here's the glory of it all. Jesus ascended and went to heaven, but he refers to us today as the body, doesn't he? And as we gather here together, what I saw in the choir, I saw the face of Jesus Christ this morning. I saw the face of Jesus Christ when someone extended a hand and said, it's so good to have you here. I saw the face of Jesus Christ when someone said, listen, it's good to be in God's house today. Why? Because the church has what the world is needing, and the source of that supply is in the face of Jesus Christ. For those that are in darkness needing light, this is the place to find it. For those that are in ignorance needing knowledge, this is the place to find it. For those that are in shame needing glory, this is the place to find it. And the message of the church should be, as the old hymn writer said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim as you look at the light of the glory of his face. Not only is there the wealth of the treasure, but I want you to notice the second concept, the weakness of the vessel. He says in verse number six, verse number seven, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It, that, that's not a steel uh, plated box. It's, it's not something of, of great uh, uh, significance. It's just a, an earthen clay pot. It's nothing unusual with that. Jeremiah bought a piece of property in Jeremiah 32 and he placed a, that title deed to the property in that, uh, in that clay pot. The, consider the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found in clay pots in the caves of Qumran by some Bedouin children throwing rocks into a cave when they 
they heard one of those vessels break, those valuable scrolls were found. And now Paul is writing to the church and he uses this analogy and he says, we have this treasure in clay pots. Why? Three reasons. Number one, because a clay pot is familiar. When you visit the city of Corinth, the ruins of Corinth, I've had the privilege to be there three times now. When you go there, you're going to find there's not many silver vessels. There's not many gold vessels. In fact, there are three silver vessels from the Acropolis of Corinth. There are, there's one gold vessel from the Temple of Aphrodite. There's multiple brazen vessels from the marketplace of Corinth. But the thing that stands out in my mind, when you go to Corinth, everywhere you go, you see terracotta pots. There's a whole museum with thousands of terracotta pots that have been collected from the ground. You can go to one particular site that's not been fully uh, archaeological, an archaeological dig has not been completed, and there's shards of terracotta pots just coming up out of the ground. And what Paul was saying is this, that as you look around your life there in Corinth, as you even look around your home in Corinth, you may not have silver vessels, and you may not have gold vessels, and you may not have brazen vessels, but you have plenty of clay pots. And God has chosen to place the treasure in heaven in that which was ordinary and common and run of the mill. And church, the same is true for you. And you may think to yourself, I'm too common. I'm too inarticulate. I'm, I'm too shy. I'm too weak. I'm too inconsequential for God to use me. But let me tell you, that is the qualification of God using you because of your humility so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of you. A clay pot is familiar. Secondly, a clay pot is functional. Paul uses this same analogy in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Timothy chapter 2. He writes in chapter 2, verse number 20, But in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. It's the same term used in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Of wood and of earth, and of some to honor and some to dishonor. And if a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You see, in the household of the average uh, person in Bible times, a clay pot was the wastebasket of the day. It carried the waste, the trash out of the home. And Paul says, there are some vessels that are vessels of honor. How many of you have fine china in your home? Usually, you place the fine china in a china cabinet. It's placed where it can be seen. It's placed in a place of prominence. None of us would take our trash can and place it in that place of prominence. But Paul says a person has a choice. If he's willing to purge himself, if he's willing to be that vessel of honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared for every good work, that God will move us from the dishonorable category to a sanctified, honorable category so that we can be used of the Lord. You see, a clay pot, regardless of background, can be functional in the Lord's use, meat for the master's use. A clay pot is familiar, it's functional, but here's, I think, the most important point. A clay pot is fragile. If you take one of those silver pots from the, uh, from the Acropolis of Corinth and you, and you were to drop it on the ground, it would be dented, it may be dinged, it may have a little scar on it, but it would still remain whole. It was, it's firm in who it is. One of those golden vessels that would have been found, if you dropped it on the ground, it, it would have a, probably a, a little bit of a ding on it, but it would, it would have uh, probably uh, just withheld the fall or even the, the brazen vessels of that time. But here's the thing. If you take a terracotta pot, which all of us have those around our homes today, if you were to drop that terracotta pot, it would break 
into multiple pieces upon impact. And Paul says to us, that's who we are. That we're easily broken. That we as Christians in our lives, even though things look perfect, even though things look good on the outside, the truth is all of us are fragile in our lives. I learned as a pastor that even though the church may look perfect, it is filled with imperfect people. And you may be here this morning and you come to this church and you say, man, I don't know if I could ever fit in there because these people got it together. These people have everything in the right place. Everything is good. But let me tell you something. In every single pew sits a person who has something in their past, something that has broken them, something that reminds them that it is not about who they are. It is all about who God is and the work that God is doing in their life. All of us are fragile clay pots. And God, God has chosen to place this treasure, this immeasurable eternal wealth in these fragile clay pots. Why does he do that? It's the third thought. So that we can recognize the wonder of the power. Do you see it in verse number seven? If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Notice what it says in verse 7. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So that we're not the center of attention, so that we're not the ones that get all of the glory. God allows us in our brokenness to allow the light to shine through us so that we can bring glory to God. That's the key to the mission of the church. It's not about us. It's about Christ. And God chooses to use the people that are average and ordinary so that his work can be accomplished and he can bring glory to himself. Think about this. God never used the distinguished philosophers of Athens or the powerful leaders and movers of men of Rome and the religious geniuses of Jerusalem. God chose average fishermen, tax collectors, outcasts to be the ones, to be the first evangelist of the gospel, to be the followers of Christ. God never chose to use Herodias the historian and Socrates the philosopher and Euclid the mathematician and Archimedes the father of mechanics and Cicero the orator and Virgil the poet. He chose not to use any of these men of history. Instead, he just used average ordinary men and he shared the gospel of the priceless treasure of of heaven's gospel with the world. Why? So that the excellency of the power would be revealed through their brokenness. And if you're here today and you know that you're broken, then you're qualified for God to use you. I read this this fable a number of years ago. I think it's an excellent illustration of what Paul is teaching us here. You don't build doctrine on fables. It's a Chinese fable. Allow me to do just an extended reading and I'll be finished because I think it adequately illustrates how God can use our brokenness to bring glory to himself. The story goes, once upon a time, there was an elderly Chinese woman who owned two large clay pots. And she would hang each pot on the ends of a pole that which she carried across her neck. Each day she would walk from her house to a nearby stream to fetch water. And she would fill up both pots and pick up the pole and walk back to her house. But one of the pots had a crack in it while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full pot of water. At the end of the long walk to her house, the crack pot always only arrived half full. But the, because of the crack, half of the water leaked out during the track. For, for two full years, that happened daily. 
And the Chinese woman arrived home with only one and a half pots of water. Of course, the perfect pot was proud. It it never lost a drop of precious water. But that poor cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfection. It was miserable. And that cracked pot thought of itself as a complete failure. One day, the cracked pot was so tired of failing that it spoke to the woman. And the cracked pot said, I'm so ashamed of myself because of the crack that's in my side. It causes water to leak out all the way back to your house. I, I failed you. I'm sorry. Maybe you need to replace me with another pot that isn't cracked. And the old woman smiled and said gently, Did you ever notice that there are flowers on your side of the path and not on the other pot's side? I've always known about your flaw. And I planted flower seeds on your side. And every day as I've walked back, you've been watering those seeds. And for the past two years, I've been able to pick the flowers to decorate my table. Because without you just the way you are, there would have been no beautiful flowers to grace my home. You see, church, while making no excuse for sin, there is the truth the scars of sin are often still upon us. But it doesn't disqualify us from being used of God. Because we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. No matter what your hurts are, no matter what your habits are, no matter what your hang-ups may be, Jesus died for us so that we can have the treasure of heaven in this earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Father, I thank you this morning. That in your grace, you're willing to give us the treasure of heaven. I pray this morning you'll speak to this congregation. For those who are believers here today, may they no longer be intimidated or paralyzed by the insecurity or inadequacy that often the devil holds us in. May they recognize you have chosen to place the treasure of heaven in them so that you can bring glory to yourself. And may we be faithful witnesses of the work that you've done in our life. And then, Father, there may be some who are here today who are searching for light in darkness. Knowledge while they stumble in ignorance. There may be some here who are filled with shame, but you are willing to move them to a place of glory. Those that do not know you as Savior today, Lord, may they come to know you in that very personal way. I pray you'll work in every heart not by the thought or the rhetoric or the words that I have shared, but Lord, maybe through the work of your Holy Spirit, may there be a clear conviction, a clear calling to what you want us to do. We pray now that you'll work in this time of invitation as our pastor comes. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask you, I wonder if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior. The most important decision anyone will make today is to decide to trust Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. I wonder if someone on the main floor in the balcony is here and you want to know Jesus. You want to know if you died, you'd go to heaven. 
you want to know that Jesus is indeed your Savior personally, but you're not sure. Oh, maybe you've gone to church, you've been religious, you talked about the Lord, but you're not sure that He's your Savior and that heaven is indeed your eternal home. I wonder if there's anyone like that and you'd say, Pastor, I, I want to know. I don't, but I want to know that I'm a Christian. I'd like to pray for you. I wonder if there's anyone in the world, anyone here in this auditorium that would raise their hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to know. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? Say, Pastor, I want to know I'm going to heaven. A few people raised a hand, and let me say to those, you come to Christ the same way every one of us as believers have, and that is simply to ask him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It means to ask him to be your savior. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, that he was buried, but three days later he rose triumphant from the grave as a seal and signet that he had paid the price for our eternity and our ticket to heaven, then if we'll just ask him to be our savior and to forgive us, that he will. And so if you're here this morning and you're not sure, could you just word this prayer to the Lord Jesus and just mean it with your heart and say something like this, Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I ask you to save me and forgive me of all of my sin. And I trust you, Jesus, to take me to heaven when I die. I believe in you, and I give you my life in Jesus' name. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, but I wonder if you're here and you say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Could we rejoice in you? And would you raise your hand and say, I prayed that prayer. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you very much. You can put your hands down. For the rest of us as believers... I know that many times you, just like I, have felt, Lord, I'm such an earthen vessel. Maybe you feel like that cracked pot. I've felt like that many times before. But what a blessing to know that Jesus could use me. I wonder if you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor, that, that sermon helped me because sometimes I feel so poor, a representative of my Savior, but this morning the Lord spoke to me and I saw that I can be used even though I'm nothing but a clay vessel. I wonder if you'd say, Pastor, that encouraged me. Would you just slip up your hand? Oh yes, so many all throughout the auditorium. This is an invitation time. It may be that God's speaking to your heart about professing faith. That's letting other people know that you've invited Christ in your life. Or maybe God's spoken to your life about following the Lord and believers' baptism. After we become believers, Christ wants us to be baptized 
as a testimony that we believe in his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection. And so it's an outward show of our inward faith. And maybe God's speaking to your heart about placing your membership here at Grandview Baptist Church. Every Christian belongs somewhere. And it may be that God has spoken to your heart about placing your membership here. Those are spiritual decisions. And we're going to have a time to make those decisions. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts and help us make decisions that are lasting for eternity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. The piano's playing. And if God's speaking to your heart and there's a spiritual decision that you need to make this morning, will you just come forward and you can talk to any of our assistant pastors. There's two of them down front. Be glad to talk with you and pray with you. Let God speak to you. What is it that Christ wants to do in your life? Maybe right where you stand, would you pray and talk to the Lord about what he spoke to your heart about this morning? Let God do something in your life. You may be seated. We're going to take an offering for our guest speaker. If you enjoyed that, say amen. amen. Great truth there. Let me mention that next Sunday after the Sunday morning service, 11 o'clock service, we have what's called a starting point class. We do that about every six weeks here at Grandview. And that's for new people to Grandview Baptist Church. We have a nice meal for you. And then we talk about the history of our church, where we, what we believe as a church, how we operate as a church. It is actually a booklet that you work through, and then it ends with a spiritual gifts test that lets you know how you could serve. It lets you know how to be a member, how to serve in some capacity here at Grandview Baptist Church. See, we believe that every member ought to be involved in some type of service for the Lord. And we will be able to share those many different opportunities with you next Sunday as well. Now, if you're interested in that and you're new to our church and would like to learn more, let me say the very least you'll get out of it is a real good meal. I guarantee you that. Because the same cooks that are cooking for the seniors do that as well next Sunday. But I guarantee you it will answer your questions, give you much more information and uh, there is a sign-up sheet on the information desk right out front. And so I hope that you'll do that. We had two ladies this morning in the 8.30 service that were brand new to our church. And uh, they signed up. They don't live very far from here. And they said, I'm excited about finding the church and we want to be a part of it. 
And this was her first Sunday, so praise the Lord for that. So let me encourage you to sign up for the Starting Points class. And ushers, if you'll come at this time, uh, everything we receive at this offering will go toward our uh, guests and the expenses and try to be a blessing to him. And I hope you can participate. After we have a word of prayer, they'll receive the offering. And the next video that shows our announcements will be on. And after that, we'll dismiss in prayer. And then uh, for all the seniors, you'll find a place at one of the tables to sit with your guests and your friends. And we'll have a wonderful meal together. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you so much for the great message. Lord, how it challenged us that even though we're just earthen vessels, we can be used of Almighty God because Jesus lives inside of us. And Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. Now bless this offering. Help us to be a blessing to this man of God that you sent us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for Grandparents Day. We hope this morning's sermon from Dr. Lance was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for another powerful sermon by Dr. Lance. The Lord has blessed our church the last several weeks with many guests. And if that is you, we are so glad you're here. We are thankful for what God is doing at Grandview Baptist Church. And perhaps you want to know how to get more plugged in, more involved, and experience your life journey as you grow closer to the Lord. Our starting point class is perfect for you. This will be on November 13th, right after the morning service. I hope you consider joining us and learning more about Grandview Baptist Church and how you can get plugged in. Join us next Sunday, November 13th for Veterans Day. We will have patriotic music and take time to recognize each veteran in our services. Every veteran in attendance will receive a Cracker Barrel gift card. Teenagers, don't miss the overtime teen activity tonight following the 5 p.m. service. Join us for about 15 minutes as we will be showing our appreciation for the Grandview staff. There are two very important meetings coming up next Sunday, November 13th during the 5 p.m. service. If you work in the nursery or volunteer as a greeter or usher, please make plans to be in attendance for the meeting. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you, and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon, and we will see you tonight at 5. Okay, well, wonderful. By the way, last Sunday night, uh, after during the service, we had our trunk or treat. We had a minimum of 1,500 people come through, and what an amazing event it was. We had 213 plugged up for a while, everyone trying to get in. Uh, we, we filled up our soccer field with cars, behind the church with cars, and the rest of our parking lot with cars. And uh, it was truly an amazing thing. It was packed out the whole duration for almost two hours. 
so the Lord surely blessed. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And then seniors, take your place around a table and the food will be delivered before too long. Father, thank you for this time we have. We love you. And thank you for every person who came to your house today. And Lord, bless all the good churches throughout this land that are preaching Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.